Hello and welcome to Chatting, a podcast where people chat about how they learn and use English. My name is Sam, I'm a CELTA teacher and a performer and I have a particular interest in pronunciation and expression. In each episode, non-native and native speakers will chat about their experiences with English, share their advice and, at the end, I'll give some pronunciation tips for you to take away and practice. So, ready? Let's get chatting. This episode, I'm chatting with Lars. Lars is originally from Australia. He's a business English coach and a Porsche enthusiast. Watch out for his YouTube videos. We met online and had a few glitches. I think it was either the weather or some building work. Not sure, but nothing that got in the way of the chat too much. We chatted about nativizing your English, switching your brain on and strategic chit-chat. But I started by asking Lars to tell me a little bit about himself. From an English teaching perspective, I come from a law and business background. I studied law and international business at university. So, but moving to Finland for love, I slotted into, you know, looking for work. I, I thought the immediate thing to do would be to, to be an English teacher. Where I felt I specialized in or what was my strength was actually teaching business clients, senior executives, uh, more business English or specific English related to presentations, negotiations, and their communication skills in general. But in, in terms of Lars Muller, I, I'm a teacher. I'm passionate about uh, film. And also, as you know, I'm doing a documentary related to people's passions around Porsches. And um, yeah, I keep myself busy. Always a good thing. All right, let's go back to the beginning then as Lars. How would you describe your English? My English is, uh, well, (laughs) how do you answer that question? Uh, Well, I'm a native English speaker, despite the name. And Mm -hmm. I would say that over the years, my English has become quite neutral. And I have, let's say, two levels of English, my colloquial English, and then more my, let's say, business English or or the English that I teach with. Would you describe yourself as a teacher or a coach? More of a coach. Once you get to a certain level of English uh, comprehension and speaking, you become more of a coach. And I try to teach skilled-based English. So the English in, in a negotiation or in a business meeting or presentation, for example, and then it's very much coaching because you also want the speaker to retain their own, let's say, natural communication skills at that level. Uh, So everybody communicates differently. And once their level of English gets to a certain point, you want them to be able to communicate with that language level that they have. And the people that get in touch with you then, what are they looking for? What are they hoping to improve? With most of the people that have a good command of English, they it's really a confidence-based thing. So I find that a lot of my work is based on really just trying to reassure uh, people that their quality of English is uh, good enough. So usually 
the way that my lessons or sessions starts is is this period of really just uh, reassuring people that their English is good enough to execute in a meeting or execute in a negotiation. Do you find with language, are there any particular areas that your clients tend to struggle with or is it very sort of person specific? Speaking, speaking, uh, because when you're writing or you're, uh, you're having time to elaborate over the language, over the grammar, and uh, however, when you're in a dynamic conversation, you don't have that time. You know, even those that in maybe some of the English language tests would perform really quite highly, but they just feel like they don't have the ability to express themselves in the way that they would in their native language. So that's what I try to do is, is let's say nativize their, their English as well. How do you begin to nativize somebody's language? If you're at the level of translating words directly, they don't necessarily work in a native setting. So a lot of people make the mistake of going onto Google Translate or using dictionaries and finding a definition. However, the translator is not giving you the exact translation. So often what I do find is that people end up uh, using expressions incorrectly or using words incorrectly or in a, in a different uh, context. And also, let's say in a, in a business context as well, some of the expressions or let's say catchphrases, they're very particular and they almost have their own idiomatic usages as well so that's that's really something that that I work on with um, with my clients I think one of the questions one thing that's really interesting from a learning point of view and I'll say it now just in case we forget is mm -hmm. watching television is a fantastic way of learning English now the problem is is a lot of people will have the English channel on and then have subtitles subtitles you practice your reading skills I, I speak Italian but when I watch television that's in Italian with English subtitles I end up reading so um, one advice that I can give or I give to all of my my clients is watch television no subtitles not even English subtitles because if you've even got English subtitles on you're just practicing your reading skills not your listening skills or yeah. comprehension related to, to speaking. Speaking is a very specific niche on its own of language learning. Uh, it's, it's very different from reading, writing. Going to, you know, one of the things that I would advise greatly for students, especially of a senior level, level actually all levels, is just turn off those damn subtitles. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's there. Kids now learn English watching YouTube because they actually learn or uh, listen to the English before they actually can read. So that lets them pick up the words, that lets them pick up the pronunciation and the sounds, you know, naturally. What is it particularly about speaking that's so tricky? I think that's a very good question because when you're writing, you can at least, you have time to translate into your mind. However, when you get to really a, a question of fluency, you have to think in that language. So that's the gap. Mm -hmm. And that's why I, mean, why I was saying also with just turning all of those subtitles off, because 
the point or the bottleneck is breaking through that that level of um, of thinking in your language. And usually, most of my clients, even no matter how good they are, you know, they still need to have a warm up stage where their brain uh, switches over from their native language to to English. I imagine your clients come from uh, different business sectors. Are there any particular banks of vocabulary that each sector likes to learn? Is there sort of some top catchphrases that people like to learn and use? Most definitely. Uh, and particularly it boils down to these buzzwords and uh, particular expressions that, that you use. The banking sector has its own terminology that their legal sector it's, it has its own terminology. And what's more is that each company develops its own internal language. So uh, in, in, in many respects, language can even be formed within an organization. So yes, each industry has its own set of terminology and, and uses, then even companies, firms, language comes from all different sources. Yeah. And different expressions. I mean, Australians have different usages of terms, you know, <laughs> thongs versus flip-flops. That's my uh, favourite. That's my uh, favourite. Thongs <laughs> versus flip-flops. And uh, so, you know, you have a language being formed or deformed within different cultures. The same thing happens within different industries and even different organisations. What about your own skills then, Lars? Is there anything about your own English, grammar, pronunciation, punctuation, anything that you would improve if you could? I think my writing skills, uh, even though, you know, I've, I've got a degree in law and, um, you know, done a lot of reading and writing in my time, I think my writing skills uh, would be something that I would like to work on. Uh, very much my teaching is spoken English. So I've, I've neglected, let's say, a lot of the, the written English uh, in just what I do now. And it's actually really interesting. Where is our, what is the most important language skill at the moment? Is it writing? Is it speaking? Is it reading? Because, you know, we're all having to consume so much text at the moment mm, mm. Um, in this virtual world. Yeah. So, and it, it is a wonder where, where actually English communications is going to, is going to go. I think Another reason that it's so important to be able to execute English really well is you're being judged as much on your qualifications, your experience, as the quality of English that, that you use. I mean, there's a natural assumption if you, if you meet somebody and their English is is really quite good. You think, oh, they're, they're, oh, this person's quite worldly and, you know, must, must um, you know, be good at whatever they do. So that makes speaking English well or communicating in English well far more important in especially the business world or in um, if you want to advance up the ladder and things like that, uh, you need to be able to use English well not just understand it not just produce it as and when not just write it but to be able to speak and communicate with of course a very neutral accent do you have any other top tips so your top tip before was tv but without the subtitles any other top tips you have for your students just speak like just get out there and uh speak to people i think the biggest problem is is that they're 
people don't communicate enough with native English speakers. So, you know, if you've got somebody in the office that's a native English speaker, ask them for coffee. We can't do it these days, but, you know, take them out to lunch, have, a, have an hour conversation with a native English speaker. You know, for those people that are listening to your podcast that might be in a business setting or, or in a work setting where they have meetings, you know, just um, listen to a podcast beforehand, watch, watch something, watch a TED talk, just make sure that your brain is switched on to the language. So that would be very much a top tip. Yeah, I teach some of my clients also strategic chit chat because everybody that you've ever met has been a stranger at some point. It's almost like a ladder. You start, the bottom step is the weather and whatever is the easiest anchor in common. And then you, you build a relationship based on, on those anchors. Do you have any topics that you teach your students to avoid? Definitely not, because oh. it's just a matter of what level your relationship is. In terms of strategic chit chat, the aim is to build or get to that level of um, confidence as quickly as possible. So it's important to be able to climb the ladder and it is a skill. It's, it's uh, you know, simply you find those things in common, you're curious and you ask questions and you always reveal something about yourself as well. With the warming up phase, it's also just as important in terms of switching your brain to switch your tongue on as well. Uh, so the warm up phase in, in terms of speaking as well is, um, and pronunciation, I mean, Different cultures use different muscles in their mouths and uh, different levels of their voice and also their tongues, where their tongues and things are positioned. English uses a lot more of your lips. I was teaching the S and the SH, you know, the difference between a smile and a kiss. Like, you know, when you when you pronounce S, it's, it's more of a smiling, whistling sound. And then when you pronounce the SH, it's you've got your lips forward, like a shushy sound. And then she said to me, ah, oh, because I went to a shoe store in the UK and I said, can I sit here? And the, the, the customer service person said, no, of course not. No, you can't. <laughs> you know? So uh, these, these little things can get you into trouble. So you're definitely a troubleshooter in that respect, I think. <laughs> yes, <laughs> a troubleshooter. But um, yeah, no. Top tips from Lars. Turn the subtitles off when watching TV and switch your brain and tongue on before speaking English. Professional athletes warm up before an event, so why shouldn't you warm up before speaking English? TV, podcasts, chats with colleagues. These are all great ways to prepare. So this episode's pronunciation tip is Lars's tip when making the difference between the s, s and sh. SH sounds, or as Lars says, between a smile and a kiss. As discussed in episode one, English sounds are produced in the front of your face and involve both your lips and your tongue a lot. Let's practice the sh SH sound first. Tell some noisy people to shh. Notice how your lips come forward, maybe in the shape of a big kiss. Now, move to tell the noisy people, shh, silence. Notice, what do your lips do? What does your tongue do? Your lips might not change from a kiss to a big smile, but they should move back to a more neutral position. 
Then the tip of your tongue should move to be behind your top front teeth for the s sound. To exaggerate this movement, make the s longer. Shh, silence. Now we have a feel for the two positions, I have three sentences for you to practice. First, sure, meaning certain, and sore, meaning painful. Both an or sound. Try this sentence. Are you sure you're not sore? Next, shock, meaning scare, and socks, the covers for your feet. Both an o oh sound. Try this sentence. It was a shock to see your socks. Finally, same meaning equivalent and shame meaning embarrassment. Both an a sound. Try this sentence. We feel the same shame. Final practice. How about a tongue twister? Let's start slowly. She sells seashells on the seashore. We go from sh, s, s, sh, on the s, sh. Tricky, but you can do it. Don't make too much of a difference between your sh and your s faces here. They're actually quite small movements. Repeat the sentence a few times, trying each time to go a little bit faster. She sells seashells on the seashore. She sells seashells on the seashore. She sells seashells on the seashore. Over to you to practice. So there we are. The transcript of this episode is available to read on the podcast's webpage, so take a look. Join me next time for more pronunciation and grammar tips, more advice, and most importantly, more chatting. My thanks again to Lars and for her music, a massive thanks to the wonderful Mara Carlisle. Bye for now. Thank you.